The following message was given by Nick Kidwell, the senior pastor of Valley Creek Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.valleycreek.church. This morning we are continuing on in our Matthew series. So we're in a series of Matthew, and specifically right now we are in the Sermon on the Mount and exploring what it means to be people who live in the light of the kingdom of God. Last week, Jeff served us so well as we considered treasure. What do we treasure? How do we handle the resources that the Lord has given us? We were reminded that we can't serve both God and money. Well, this week, our passage continues on with this theme, but it's specifically looking at the way that our perspective on money, possessions, earthly needs can overwhelm us and become a source of angst and focus in our lives that they were never intended to be. As most of you are likely aware, the U.S. is deep in the midst of a mental health crisis, as it's been dubbed. There's been a sharp rise in cases of anxiety and depression globally uh, over the last few years, with one year seeing a 25% increase in reported cases of deep anxiety and deep depression symptoms. Since health officials have begun tracking mental health statistics heavily over the last couple decades, the rates of these things have only risen. They've never fallen. One group that's been particularly affected by this is young women. There were some very alarming recent studies done of young girls that showed one in three high school girls have considered suicide. A 60% rise over the last decade, and about six in ten girls were so persistently sad or hopeless that they stopped their regular activities. We live in an age of great anxiety. And I know many people in this room, whether at present or at one time in their lives, have dealt with distressing levels of anxiety or depression. Many of you know my story personally, and you know that I am someone who from a young age battled intensely at times very dark, very crippling anxiety myself. And there are innumerable reasons we could look at for the causes of these things and why they're on a rise in society. And we'll talk in a few minutes about some caveats and nuances in this discussion. But at the core of the issue is the fact that we are a people who are prone to fear and to panic. And ultimately, in the face of fear and panic, what we need is truth and hope. So, we're going to read together some truth and hope this morning. Let's read together the words of our Lord, words meant to help us lay down our anxious toil, foster in us a peace that surpasses understanding. So turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 25 to 34. Let me pray for us before we read. Father... We ask that you meet us this morning, as you already have, as we know you have promised to do. I ask, Lord, as we come before your word, that you would quicken it in our hearts, that you would give us understanding. We can only understand your word by your spirit, Father. And as we consider today the idea of trusting you and, and casting out fear and darkness, Lord, we ask that you would just stir up in us, in response to your word, faith. Stir up in us, in response to your word, hope. 
Stir up in us, in response to your word, joy. We pray you do these things by the power of your Holy Spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek First, the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. This passage, though challenging, is a gift to us. The Lord starts out, do not be anxious. And for many of us, we hear that call and we think, okay, Lord, easier said than done. Now, I want to be faithful to our text this morning, which is not a general discussion on the topic of anxiety, but it's a specific look at how our relationship to earthly concerns can bog us down and how we can be freed from such angst when we've set our sight on God and heavenly realities. And those realities about God, ourselves, the earth, and the future are where we're going to spend much of our time this morning because that's what our text seeks to help us through. But because we are touching on a topic that is such a crisis in our society and prevalent even among God's people, I want to take a moment to make some comments about anxiety and depression generally, and give us some tools as we think about these issues. The Lord says elsewhere in Scripture, do not be anxious. This isn't His only call in that way. We're not meant to be people who live in fear. The anxiety spoken of here is anxiety that is rooted in fear, fear of the unknown, fear of you fill in the blank. Throughout the Scriptures, it's clear that the only thing as believers in Jesus Christ, that we are to fear ultimately is the Lord. And for believers in Christ, that fear is not even a troubling fear, but it's a fear that produces awe and reverence and wonder, one that keeps us safely in His arms, not one that produces trembling fear of being crushed under the expectation of judgment. As God's children, we have no need to fear. Now, Scripture does at times talk about being anxious in a way that doesn't necessarily tie into fear, but more indicates a level of concern. You know, I'm anxious to find out the results of this. It doesn't mean you're panicked, but that's, again, not what we're talking about here. What the Lord is speaking to is unhealthy preoccupation. 
fear that leaves us rot, that seems to be without hope, that leaves us unable to sleep nights on end, that takes away our appetites, that occupies our thought life, that pulls us down, that brings upon us a depression and kills our joy. An anxious mind and heart that's unanchored itself from the hope of the Lord in some area of concern is what the Lord is talking about. And because this can feel like such an uncontrollable issue for some, believe me, I sympathize with anyone who struggles with deep anxiety and depression. I've had many dark, restless nights myself, crying out in desperation. It's because it can feel so hard to break free of. And because our culture has much to say about this, some helpful but much not, I want to lay out a few base thoughts for us. First, again, if you find yourselves currently battling anxiety or depression in some way, know that you have brothers and sisters here who love you and care for you and want to walk with you through that. I know hard thoughts, dark thoughts can be very taxing. We are with you and the Lord is with you as well. Second, anxiety and depression, while manifested in the flesh and at times driven by the flesh, aren't simply a medical condition. One problem with our current discussion around mental health is that at times there can be a perspective that if we just eat the right things... If we take the right medication, do the right yoga, smell the right oils, surround ourselves with the right kind of people, then we can eliminate any anxiety in our lives. Now, these can certainly be helps for us. A good walk, a nice nap, good nutrition, a healthy social life, and at times even medical assistance, they can be a great grace from God to help realign our thinking, to put us in a clear headspace where we can think rightly. However, while these things can be helpful, they themselves will not be the solution. And they aren't ultimately poor nutrition, lack of sleep. Those aren't ultimately what's driving or fueling our anxiety or depression. No, depression and anxious states we have are either being triggered by or being sustained by some kind of incorrect thought about God and the world creating a hopelessness within us, a hopelessness that the Lord does not intend for us to have. No one lays awake at night fearful that they're going to suddenly inherit a million dollars tomorrow, that they'll never fight again with their spouse Or that they'll live the rest of their days in absolute bliss. No one lays awake at night fearful that they're going to have a long and happy life full of joy and peace. No one lays awake at night worried that they're going to be eternally happy with their God in heaven. We lay awake at night because we're afraid our spouse will leave us. We're afraid of being alone. We're afraid of other people. We're afraid of losing our jobs. We're afraid God won't hold us fast. We're afraid there's no forgiveness. We're afraid we've ruined our lives and we can't get it back on track. This list could go on and on. At the base root of anxiety is fear. Fear that God won't provide, protect, or sustain. Fear that the future is bleak. 
Which is why then, as with all of our lives, the real fight for peace is a fight for faith. It's a fight to believe the realities that our Lord lays out for us here and in so many other places in the Scriptures. It's a fight to believe in God and what He says. This is why in the middle of the passage, the Lord says, "'Oh, you of little faith, do you not trust me?' He says. I'm not surprised we're having a mental health crisis. A 60% rise in suicidal thoughts and and 25% rises in these cases, it doesn't just come because all of a sudden we've all started eating differently. It's not because of simply because of our internet or cell phones, and it can't be accounted for just from increased reporting. Those numbers are too big. There is really a problem at hand. And it's not surprising because our culture is increasingly distant from God and His truth and preaches false witness to all of us. We are living in a stream that's further and further separated from God, making it harder and harder for us to believe the truths of God because we are not hearing them in the world around us. And when we unhinge ourselves from the stability, the peace, and the hope that is found in the God of the universe We unhinge ourselves from the realities that pull us back from the edge. And not only pull us back from the edge, but give us hope. And it's in those realities that we want to walk today, that we're going to talk about today, because that's where our passage takes us. Anxiety and fear in our lives is is driven by mind, body, spirit. All of those things make up that struggle and, and we can get help from nutrition, as we said, even, in, even medical help, but that will only ever get us so far. What we need above all else is health in our spirit, which can ultimately come from God. Pursuing God and His kingdom is the only lasting way to find peace and to cast out panic. There are three things that we see in this passage that will be key for us as we seek to walk in the peace that the Lord offers. How we view our needs, how we view ourselves, and how we view God. So first, how we view our needs. I've recently been reading a biography on Herbert Hoover, not one of our most applauded presidents. He's consistently in the bottom five, I think, on most rankings. And as you may know, he was commander-in-chief beginning in 1929, the year the stock market crashed and the beginning of what we now call the Great Depression. The 1920s were a time of rapid profits, massive speculation, opulence, explosive wealth. People were living high, and it wasn't just those on the top. People in the middle and the bottom were dumping everything they had into the stock market, seeing much money to be made. Many people were taking out what they didn't have in hopes of earning and gaining more. Everybody wanted a little bit of peace of all the action. Things looked good. Well, it all came crashing down spectacularly due to a culmination of events with the most well-known being that stock market crash, Black Tuesday. Following Black Tuesday... The market dropped 90%, leaving hordes of people penniless and an economy just spiraling out of control. Breadlines circled 
city blocks. And for many, especially the once uber wealthy, life seemed to stop altogether. There are numerous stories following the crash of prominent Wall Street men leaping from windows, putting their heads into ovens. One man even lit himself on fire. Why was this? What drove these men to such extreme places that they felt there was nothing left in the world for them to live for? Well, what happened was the stock market crashed, exposed where these men had placed their hope. This is an extreme picture of what happens when our priorities fall severely out of place and when we lose sight of what is most important in this life. Jesus says, Do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? These questions hit on life's basic necessities, and so often these are the things that our worries center around, life, provision, so forth. And this list could be much longer, especially for us, because many of us aren't worried about where our next meal's necessarily going to come from or if we'll have clothes on our back, but we still find ways to worry. How much money do I have saved for retirement? What car am I driving? What college will I attend? What college will my children attend? What houses can I afford? Where will I live? What if I get sick? To these things, the Lord says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The Lord desires to reorient our thinking. Now, he does not say these things don't matter. Forget all about these things. He tells us to consider the birds of the air who do not fret and worry, who do not store in barns, yet the Lord provides for them. He points us to the lilies of the field, who do nothing, yet are adorned in beautiful colors and textures. He points us to the Gentiles, who also long for food, drink, clothing, and health. And again, he doesn't say, yet they have no need for these things, foolish Gentiles. No, he says, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. God knows that we need food, water, and shelter. He set it up that way. The Lord knows that we need many things in this life. And he isn't telling us we shouldn't ever think about them or we don't actually need them or we should never plan for them. But what he does do is offer us a different way of looking at them. When we read verse 25, it starts out, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you'll eat or drink, your body, what you'll put on, and then all the rest of this section until we hit verse 33 is argumentation to help support this general idea, this next thought of, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. This passage boils down to, do not be anxious about your life, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The problem is not that we strive after things too much. The problem is that we strive after the wrong things too much. The Lord wants us to first and foremost be primarily concerned about our hearts. What is the first commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. 
The reality is that our greatest need in the world is God. That is true for each and every person who walks this planet. The Lord says later in Matthew, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Basically, what the Lord is saying is that we have one basic need in this life. And that's life, and life to the fullest. However, we will never find life if we do not find it in our God. If our life is not rooted in knowing God, receiving the forgiveness that He gives us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and pursuing Him and the righteousness that He calls us to, then we will ultimately be lost. If we root our lives in earthly health, in the prosperity of our bank accounts, in the success of our children, in the size of our home or our car or our appearance, then we will not have life Because life is not found in these things. They rust. They decay. They wear out. Yet it's only life with God, growth and godliness, engaging in the mission He calls us to, that we find hope that is steadfast and secure. Jesus Christ is the only rock we can stand upon that will not tumble. If we're rooted in God, we can lose all of our money and still have hope. We can lose a loved one and still have peace. We can be destitute and without and yet still be rich in Christ. Doesn't mean these things aren't hard, but it means we can have hope and we are not pushed into despair. But if we think money, health, prosperity, or other things are our greatest needs, then we'll never have peace. We'll always be striving for them because they're up and down. It is a roller coaster ride. But if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we can join with the Apostle Paul when he says in the book of Philippians, For I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content, to know how to be brought low, and know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is a man who was shipwrecked, who was beat, who was run out of cities. And he found peace in the Lord. It can be very challenging for us to go without. It can be very challenging for us to face hard difficult, dark situations in our lives. It can be very challenging for us to have hope when we feel like the walls are tumbling in all around us. But the reality is, nothing can happen to us in this life, especially not a crash in the stock market, that should push us to leap from the top of a building. Nothing should cause us to lay awake nights on end, tossing and turning over what will become of this situation or that, because we can have peace even in the midst of sadness, knowing that our greatest need is met if we have forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And our greatest pursuit is not comfort in this world that is perishing, but it's pursuit of the kingdom of God that's present and is coming. 
and it will be glorious. We're helped when we view our needs correctly. Second, we now look at we're helped when we view ourselves correctly. When the Lord led Israel out of Egypt following the Exodus, he did something interesting. There were numerous paths that he could have chosen for them to take. Yet the path that he chose for them to take involved them being cornered, being trapped by the Egyptians and being blocked by a giant body of water. Why in the world would the Lord do this? There were other routes he could have taken. We know the Israelites, who often took issue with the Lord's plans for them, took issue with this one as well. I can only imagine I would have also. Seeing Pharaoh's armies barreling down upon them, they cried out to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us to die in the wilderness? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. All the Israelites could see was the moment, the danger, the obstacle right in front of them. They were forgetting all that God had already done for them, and all they saw was this wall of water. And from their perspective, they could not imagine any possible way that they could get out of this situation. And they were right. They could not get out of this situation. And so they were afraid. However, Moses responds with one of my favorite lines in Scripture. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. In the Israelites' perspective, they needed to do something. They wished there was a situation in which they could be in control They wanted to see the clear exit strategy. They wanted to know how to defeat Pharaoh and his armies. Yet the Lord reminds them, it's not you, but I who delivers. And in this case, to prove to you, to help you learn that, I've led you here so that you can see that if you simply trust me, stand and keep your mouth shut, I can and will deliver you. Church, when we fear and panic, we fall prey to the same temptation of the Israelites. In one way or another, we look at some situation in our lives and we see an unconquerable wall. We feel out of control. We don't fear if we feel like we're in control. We just don't. If a toddler came up to attack me, I wouldn't be very afraid (laughs) because I'd be able to stop him. However, if Dwayne the Rock Johnson decided to pummel me, I would be terrified. I could not possibly overcome him. (laughs) So we tend to have peace when we feel we have it all together, and we fear when we feel we're out of control. However, the Lord reminds us here that our perspective about ourselves is off. He likens us to birds who neither toil or store up, yet the Lord provides, to the lilies who do nothing yet receive from the Lord And in his most telling statement of all, he says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Our anxieties reflect 
that we don't properly understand the sovereignty of our God. We fear when we feel we're out of control, and we have peace when we feel we're under control, but the reality is we don't have ultimate control either way. God led Israel by way of the water to teach them a lesson. If you're going to be my people, then you need to understand it's only by entrusting yourselves to me. All of you, every moment of every aspect of your lives, entrust to me. The Lord upholds the universe. It's only because the Lord wills that we have oxygen to breathe, that the sun is out there to nourish us, that our physical systems can heal themselves, that we have jobs, that we have money. It is Christ Jesus through whom, for whom, and by whom all things exist and are being held together. If we really, really wanted to be consistent in our fretting and fearing when we're out of control, we should never stop panicking. Because unless the Lord builds the house, the laborer who labors, labors in vain. We are utterly dependent upon God for every moment of our lives. We've just learned in some things, whether directly or not, to trust Him. I believe there will continue to be oxygen for me to breathe in the next 10 minutes. I'm not worried about that. That's just God's faithfulness. But other things, we have a harder time trusting. And so we turn to the Lord. And we know that our God will meet our ultimate needs. And that He, the one who is controlling all things, is good. If we didn't know that, we would only find ourselves in deeper despair. But that is not the case. We have a God who loves us. Now, before we begin to spiral into some fatalistic oversimplification of all of this, yes, the Lord is sovereign. Yes, the Lord had to be the one to deliver Israel, no matter what their circumstance may have been. Yet, that doesn't mean we don't work. Doesn't mean we don't plan. The Lord often provides through our hands and our efforts and our labors, and He calls us, commands us not to slack, not to be irresponsible, but what it does mean is that when we have given a situation our best efforts, when we've done all that we can faithfully do, we entrust the results and the future to our God, knowing it's ultimately only by His divine will that any result can come to pass. And as we'll see in a minute, because the character of our God is good, This sovereignty of His really should be a comfort for us, not one that leads us to despair. A very, very innocuous example, but one that came to mind as I was preparing this message. Those of you who know me know that I enjoy a good deal. I like to Facebook Marketplace. If you're a visitor and you go to our fellowship hall, much of what you see there has come off Facebook Marketplace. But part of this endeavor means you have to devote some time to looking searching for the items that you're seeking because they're just not always there. They pop up. And while most of the time this is a pretty tame endeavor for me, there are times I can begin to feel anxious about it. Times I catch myself habitually looking, realizing deep down that I have a fear that if I don't devote every minute of the day to searching Facebook Marketplace, I'm going to miss that bargain that I'm hoping for. 
And to that the Lord would say, and which of you, by anxiously searching marketplace, will add a single bargain to your list of treasures? I remind myself, I only ever find a deal because the Lord in His kindness has allowed me to do so. And me anxiously addicted to searching is not what the Lord calls me to. So I can look faithfully and spend some time on that, but then I have much more in my life to do. Much more that I need to be faithful to do. Many more important things, so I entrust to the Lord that if there's something He wants me to have, it will show up there the few times that I check it in the day. Otherwise, it wasn't meant to be. And when I do that, there's peace that comes. And the Lord still provides. When we lay our anxieties down before the Lord, we're submitting to His will. We're saying, Father, I know you're in control, and my fretting and my fearing achieves nothing. And ultimately, our anxiety reflects a perspective that God isn't in control that God isn't good, that God doesn't care, that God won't provide. And as we know from Scripture and from our experience, these things simply are not true. So we have to view our needs properly. We have to view ourselves properly. And now we've got to view God properly. As we said, we could realize that food and clothing aren't ultimately our greatest needs. We could realize that we don't have ultimate control over our lives, but if we didn't have the hope that there was a good God who was then in control of these things, again, we would be in that deeper despair. But that is not the case, because our passage reminds us this morning that God knows our needs. God cares about our needs, and God provides for our needs. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. There's nothing that we encounter, that you encounter, that God is not aware of. When we become anxious, part of our anxiety is that God has forgotten, that he's, he's looked away or he's not aware of what we're going through. That's not always our thought, but we can often find ourselves in that place. But our passage won't let us linger there. The Lord knows what we need. He knows better than we do what we need. He knows the mundane things that we need. He knows every single spiritual lesson that we need to learn, every single situation that would be good for us to face, that we might be shaped into the glorious image of His Son, Jesus Christ. He knows these things. And when we seek first the kingdom of God, we do so knowing that we're seeking a Lord who knows our needs. And we come before a God who cares. God compares us to the birds and the lilies to emphasize a dichotomy between us. He loves all of his creation, but we're misguided if we think he has the same love and affection for a bird that he has for one of his children. If you had to face the decision of saving your cat or your baby, I think it's going to be very easy who you save. And if it's not, we should probably talk after service. Your perspective is a little off. God's the same way, and that's what he's saying. It's not that he doesn't love his creation or care about the birds and the lilies, but how much more does he love us? But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? We have to understand this deep in our souls. God has set his affection on us through his son, Jesus Christ. If you're human on this earth, God has blessed you abundantly, more than what we sinful people deserve, 
even though at times we don't feel like it. And if you're God's child, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you are His cherished possession. What fools we are when we feel like God does not care about us. He cares so deeply that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. As Paul says in Romans, He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Our God cares and our God provides, which is the last thing we remember about God. He provides for our needs. He knows, he cares, and he provides. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now, we have to stop and wrestle with this for a moment. Is God saying, if I pursue him, I will never hunger? I'll never thirst? I'll get everything I feel that I need? No, that's not. Not what the Lord is saying. What, what God is providing for us here reads a bit like wisdom literature, like the Proverbs. Proverbs such as, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Or a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Will sluggards always be poor? No. Will diligent hands always make one rich? No. There's many hardworking people here who aren't rich by the world's standards. Will a soft word always turn away wrath? No. Nor will a hard word always cause anger. But what these do is teach us principles. The Lord desires for us to work hard. And generally, if we do, good follows. And generally, if we slack, we won't gain. And generally, gentleness puts out a fire. And generally, provoking words provoke a fight. But these aren't black and white rules that we live by. The Lord does not guarantee that a believer will never go hungry. The Lord does not guarantee that we will always have clothes on our back. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, we were told if someone's suing us for our cloak, to give it to them. So we know there will be situations. We know many brothers and sisters around the globe are in severely broken societies and are hurting for their basic necessities. We know brothers and sisters around the globe are persecuted for their faith, killed for their faith, and denied basic necessities. And our own passage acknowledges this. Sufficient for today are its own troubles. It doesn't say trust the Lord and you'll have no troubles. It says sufficient for the day are its own troubles. But what the Lord is saying is that you can entrust all of your needs to me. If you seek me and my kingdom, I will not let you down. We know in this sin-sick world, as believers, we will encounter pain, hardship, and trial. That doesn't mean we don't ask the Lord for our needs. That doesn't mean we don't trust the Lord to meet our needs. But it means that there are things aren't quite what we expected, or even if we don't get what we think we need in this life, we with Paul can be content and want and in plenty because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. If you've entrusted Jesus Christ, know this, as his child, he is, we have to believe this truth, he is working all things together for your good. That is not trite, that is true. And we will get to experience much of that provision and taste a lot of that sweetness here on this earth. 
in varied ways, there's very often present fulfillment of and all these things will be added to you. But we do also know that there is a day coming in which our Lord will return and we will no more encounter crying or pain or want or hunger or abuse. The days of this sin-sick world will come to an end. We can have hope, eternal hope, and we will live with God, with Him in heaven, glorious paradise for all of eternity. No one, nothing can take that hope from us. For Paul says in Romans, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The Lord provides for us. The Lord always and eternally will provide for us, and the Lord knows better than us what we need. And sometimes it's through want or trial that he meets our needs best. But know this, our heavenly Father is not stingy. He clothes us with righteousness. He crowns us with glory that far exceeds the riches and splendor of Solomon and his temple. And though it may only seem cloudy for the moment, the glory that he has stored up for us will be revealed in the end. But standing on that reality, we can in the meantime be a people who laugh at the time of drought. We can be a people who know That the worst thing that could ever be done to us, taking our life, is in fact a victory for us because we get to be home with the Lord. And we could be people who expect that this gracious Father, who's lavishly given us His Son, Jesus Christ, will bless us even now on this earth. Maybe not in the ways we would have expected, but if you keep your eyes on Him, have a heart posture of gratitude, we will find we have much to be thankful for on this earth and find that we have received much more than we deserve as a sinful, fallen people. Such a heart posture carries us through the darkness, reorients our thinking. It gives us hope, hope for today, and eternal hope for tomorrow, a hope that cannot be shaken. If you're here and you find yourself worrying about tomorrow, bogged down by your thoughts, and you've not come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to come to Him. You cannot find a sure balm for your worries than Him and the truth and forgiveness that He offers. Church, we have much reason to rejoice. Our God is a God who clothes us in His righteousness, who promises us to never leave us, and is preparing for us a glorious future beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. What then do we need to fear today? Let's fight the good fight of faith. It can be so hard to believe these things, but we have to fight with the Spirit's help to trust. Let's believe God is who He says He is. And let's together seek the kingdom and His righteousness and trusting all else to His care. This God is with us. This God goes before us. And this God is in control of all things, even when it feels like He's not. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for these truths. Thank you, Father, that you supply and meet our needs, Lord, and we just ask that you would help us believe these things today, that the truth that you are for us, the truth that nothing can be against us, the truth that we have eternity secure with you through your Son, Jesus Christ, we ask that that would carry us through the darkest moments of our lives. 
We ask, Lord, that it would dispel darkness and fear. And we ask, Lord, that you would supplant in our hearts, remove fear and panic, and replace it with peace and joy. Pray that you would break bondages today even of folks who are here feeling very bound by fear and panic. We ask that the light and the truth of your word would break open those places. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Nick Kidwell given at Valley Creek Church. For more information on the church and other messages, please visit us online at www.valleycreek.church.